hard to believe that you can make good money doing what you love while making the world a better place? I feel you. My name is Eden and I'm a holistic business coach who spent years in nonprofits believing things like money is the root of all evil and trying to spiritually bypass capitalism before my desire for comfort, freedom, and stability outweighed my attachment to my limiting beliefs. See, after years of helping myself and many, many clients create profitable, regenerative feeling businesses that honor our spiritual and material needs, I launched New Money Social Club to give the very best coaching, community, and strategy for aligned abundant growth to believe it we've got to see it so this podcast centers the stories of diverse entrepreneurs who are daring to live work and create on their own terms in the spirit of a mutually flourishing equitable new economy Welcome everybody to this episode of New Money Social Club with Miss Chris Sugatan. Um, I told a story over email about how I met Chris some years ago, but it was totally a by chance meeting in a coffee shop. Um, and we had met at when um, we had both kind of recently pivoted from sort of unconventional backgrounds into the digital marketing space. Chris pivoted a little bit ahead of me. And as I mentioned in the email, was definitely calibrated for a supercharged level of growth that honestly was inspiring to me then and still is inspiring to me to this day. Also to my super growth oriented husband who's been in digital marketing masterminds for the past, you know, decade plus in one conversation with Chris um, was really blown away and um, truly had a, had a, had a whole uh shift in what he was doing for his work at the time because of that conversation. So we are very, very lucky and blessed to be uh, sharing space with you today. Chris. Um, so to give the official intro, um, so Chris Sugatan is the founder and CEO of Sugatan.io, a leading growth marketing firm that helps e-commerce startups scale a million in monthly revenue through conversion rate optimization, email marketing, SEO, influencer marketing, and has a unique and a unique blend of data and creativity. Chris is here to tell us some tales of business, money, and viral ads after millions of dollars in mistakes and fortune. So um, welcome, Chris. To kick things off, I'm going to ask you a maybe hard-hitting question, but it's one that we like to kind of um, return to here in New Money Social Club a lot. And that is, do you mind just introducing yourself in your own words and sharing what is one story that you heard about money growing up? Oh, gosh. Um, so let me tell you my experience of money. My earliest memory of money was um, I was given about an allowance and some raisinets <laughs> once every three weeks um, from my mother who was a gambling addict. Okay. So that was my upbringing. Um, it was very scarcity like driven. And then I think I want to say in high school when Google was, became like a thing and you can actually look up people's net worth and Forbes came out with it. They used to feature the, you know, richest billionaires. And then I would hear about, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or something along those lines who would rise to a huge net worth from creating something. And that was actually when I knew 
I needed to go into entrepreneurship. And my background, when uh, right before we met, Eden, um, I was a server. I was a waitress for about seven, eight years. And I knew that the power of the internet was exponential. Um, but I just didn't know how to harness it. So my first foray was to be an influencer back in 2012, two years after Instagram started, when influencer was not even a coined term. I was trying influencer. I did it for about six months and I got my very first offer for a paid gig. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But then I actually hated being an influencer. So like I left it. But I had grown my social media marketing, um, my Instagram followers, I think around 15,000 at the time, which was, you know, in 2012, a lot. And that's what I decided to leverage when I started freelancing on my own. And yeah, so I was freelancing. And I think when I met you that when I was freelancing, and I was in the middle of uncovering the some of the digital marketing opportunities at the time. So is it safe to say that kind of from the get or early on, you just had a drive, like you connected with some of these stories of big success and you like knew that this was for you in some way? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, and also in high school, I had a group of girlfriends and, you know, we would always talk about what we would do after school or after college or something. And I always say, I was like, I don't know, I just have a vision of me running a business on a phone at a cafe somewhere. And that, and that was really kind of like what my life became, to be honest with you. Um, so yeah, so that, that it was just a, a very kind of um, pull and attraction. And I think Ultimately, what it comes down to, and I think over the last five years, I've realized just how important autonomy and freedom to create really was at the at the core of that, and not feeling confined and restricted. Um, that was that was really what what was at the core of it. Yeah, I love that you bring up the word like create, create, and creativity essentially because I feel like yeah. that's. That is so much of business building and it kind of like isn't what people lead with often. I think that a lot of folks that we work with are intimidated by by the world of like business, right? Um, especially if you're entering into the conversation from an artistic or creative or holistic health background. It's like business is this foreign concept. Um, and one thing that I love about business is that it is that um, it's such a creative process, right? It, it really allows you that and also the autonomy. So it sounds like those were sort of um, some driving factors into just what kept you on a mission <laughs> to um, to making money was, uh, can you, yeah, can you talk a little bit more about like that transition from being a waitress at the time to making that leap? Like, how did you first learn about the opportunities within digital marketing? How did you decide what you were going to do? That sort of thing. Yeah, actually, I was forced. Um, I don't know if I even ever told you this, Eden, but like, I was so I was a waitress. And I did I full time, like, I mean, 60 hours a week, just to make ends meet at the time. And, um, and I was living in Ithaca. And so Cornell was just a stone's throw away. And 
um, at the restaurant, I had developed a relationship with a senior professor from the hotel school and his name was Giuseppe and he would actually bring in his students and then ask for me as the server to do a training because he would be like, this is how you do service because I was in it for so long that it was second nature to me. And over time, he wanted to sponsor me as an undergrad at Cornell and he had me meet the dean of admissions to figure out how to get in. At the same time, a manager that I had worked for in Ithaca started working at Cornell's hotel that only employs managers and then the rest of the employees are the hotelie students. And he had offered me a position to be the head trainer, and which was a management role at the hotel, which meant that my tuition would have been paid for if I was employed through Cornell once I got in. But that would have meant that I would have worked full time and also do, do an, a rigorous undergrad and basically forced me to decide if I wanted this to be, wanted it to be my career. And it was an interesting sort of like fork in the road because there's Cornell, the reputation, and then there was the unknown path, right? There was the safety, literally the safety and the prestige in one path, but it was very structured and it was going to be an eight-year investment on my end, only to have the degree and then to what I perceived at the time output into middle management. But my I knew to the core that I that I wanted to build and create. I wanted to watch something be built from the ground up and really test my ability and test my potential in the real world. And it took me about two and a half months to make that commitment and decide, even though I didn't know that about this path or what lay on the other side, but I just knew that it was going to be not um, the, the vitality of my spirit wasn't invested in that path. And so I took a leap of faith and I, I remember at the time scrambling, I was like, do I want to be a, web designer? Do I want to learn code? Do I want... And I just started freelancing. I was like, I'm just going to be a virtual assistant on Upwork and leverage the fact that I had built a 15,000 follower account on Instagram and utilize my photography skills that I had built doing that and, and and then be a VA. And so I started out at $18 an hour, um, working for solopreneurs as a virtual assistant. And through that, I learned just all these different skills. And then it, I tripped onto the opportunity that eventually in four and a half years, and I didn't share this with you either, but in four and a half years, I had built a, a company that generated $8 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. And so by a year and a half into... I would say two years into freelancing, I was all of a sudden an 80 people company. And, and so it was, and the opportunity was e-commerce, Facebook ads and, and um, scaling up growth stage e-commerce brands to be multi-million dollar brands through Facebook ads. And, uh, and I could not have known literally it's everything that I wanted happened very organically without me knowing how I was going to get there. I just knew that that's what I wanted. Mm. And, um, and so I went through a lot of, you know, soul searching, being in a place to juggle my values versus 
juggling with money, like a lot of the the things that I feel like I remember my mission and my purpose and communicating that to my team being about a collective consciousness that we were going to be a super organism that we were all underdogs, you know, nobody came from a highly educated background. We were all just kind of scrappy and figuring things out. And I had these like very, like, honestly, like spiritual-esque type of missions and visions. It was so hard to translate, I would say, into an actual physical entity like a corporation because I'm, I'm an incorporation literally we incorporated as c-corp and um and 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 so balancing so many different dimensions of reality and being human and big picture and small picture team management I mean it was I was just all of a sudden faced with it and so quickly um and and it's been such a fascinating journey, honestly. Like it's it's been so interesting. Yeah, it's been yeah. <laughs> it's been amazing to to watch. Um, one thing that that I talk to a lot of folks around, a lot of you know clients and folks in New Money Social Club around, is to pay attention to where the energy is flowing. Like if you know that, like what we can do is set our container. Like I need to be making this amount of money and I'm, I'm cool with using these aspects of my gifts. And like, this is the type of work I can do, but being a little open to like how it's all going to figure itself out. um, Cause that can allow us to, yeah, pay attention to where the energy is flowing rather than trying to like push a rock uphill. There could be like, yeah, just like, a huge demand for Facebook ads, right? And that kind of thing. So would you say that the way that your business has unfolded and taken shape, I, you kind of just said this, but that it it was this organic process and you were just kind of paying attention to where a lot of the energy was flowing? Yes, in the beginning. And then, and so it it's so interesting. My personal pattern has been that when I tried to really control everything, you know, it was, it was like, I'm pushing a rock uphill. And then when I, you know, allowed my intuition to what, when I allowed my intuition and at the same time, let go of needing to know exactly where I needed to be and plan it out six months from now, a year from now, when I say exactly I mean, like you have an idea of what you want. And then when you start to work your way backwards and map out every single detail on exactly how you, that never worked for me. It was when I just said, this is what I want to happen. And then you kind of like are a um, rainwater finding your way to the river and you just allow the obstacles or the issues or whatever it is to come and and you navigate around it and eventually you get there but you allow sort of the people in your life to bring it to you as opposed to being the person who's pushing and working for it mm-hmm. um and not just the people to bring it to you but to allow sort of like whatever is happening you know i met some of the things that some of the critical thing things that were the game changers and the success have been 
people that I met at the park when I was walking my dog, you know, and really like you couldn't, that you can't plan for. And this is the same exact advice that I have been given by very, very successful, um, you know, um, people who have scaled many, many businesses and it's stay focused, but be flexible in how it actually happens. And, um, and I would say that I've been on both sides of it. So prior to me starting this agency, I used to try to figure everything out. And then when I allowed myself to just be like, okay, I'm not sure anymore. And I'm just going to go with it. All of the things that I wanted to happen happened. Then when I got into the, the thick of building the company, I went back into the controlling everything and it didn't work out for me when I was in that state. And, and I was in that state only because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I had no management experience and all of a sudden I was managing 80 people and it was, you know, it was really insane. Um, but I was just kind of also writing with the growth and figuring things out as you go along. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So let's, let's go there. Cause this is uh, such a, it's such a huge block for so many of us. The idea of like, I, I think inherent in every entrepreneur's growth journey, even solopreneur's growth journey is you need to hire some people to help you. You need to hire other people who can do things better than you can do them. How has that journey been for you? <laughs> it's been really hard actually. Um, so there was one mindset I really believed that was the the mindset that I cultivated, that I projected and thought that that's how reality operated. And what that was, was, um, you know, I didn't graduate from, I didn't go to college, for example. So I had this belief that you could really cultivate talent you know, and I was an advocate for people, like a huge advocate for people. And how that translated is I actually accelerated people's roles, because I believed in them, you know, these are wholesome intentions. You know, I wanted them to make more money, you know, I didn't want them to follow this rigid, like, um, like the way that I was exposed to in the corporate world, where it was like, wait, I have to wait, a year and a half to get a $2 raise, like that's ridiculous, you know? And I had transferred all of these, you know, observations into this company. Um, and actually it, it did backfire on me because I accelerated them too fast where I set them up for failure, you know, like putting somebody on as a COO role when they were just like a phenomenal executive assistant or a personal assistant, you know, which I didn't even know what a COO actually did. I kind of followed, you know, what I would hear and I didn't have time to think about it. I just kind of like was winging it by the seat of my pants. And it was, I did that for a lot of roles. I put them into these management positions when they didn't have any management experience. Mm -hmm. And that was actually very, um, I think while I, was very idealistic. And I think the intent was very pure and good and value-based. The reality of that actually caused a lot of issues because I ended up having to be the person that um, 
that had to, you know, um, be the mediator when they couldn't figure out how to manage a team, how to cultivate and nurture a team who didn't have natural management skills. They were actually very skilled executors, but they weren't good managers, you know? And I really just wanted to like, oh, here's a raise because you've done so well and let me put, you know, bring you up. And, and so those were some of the sort of personal challenges that I think I'm still, it's my way of trying to, be more I think values forward and trying to fit it in and then being like oh it doesn't fit okay well let me just revise and optimize you know and so I still believe in you know um really lifting people from the from from coming into me very entry level and then having them you know but then now it's just much longer I'm very much more methodical about it I have multiple touch points with them and, um, and they really have to earn my trust. And I'm also very cognizant about managing people is a very unique skill set. Mm-hmm. And there's very certain types of people that can do that. And, um, and I think for me personally, I'm an okay manager. My issue was always around prioritizing and knowing what to prioritize when you had competing priorities and then really staying focused on that and not allowing all the anxieties about what you should be doing or I'm abandoning that. That was always my, my issue. Competing priorities. I I just, I mean, not like in tasks or what would make money competing priorities are the different dimensions, you know, your spiritual values versus like actually needing to make money, you know, and like, really knowing what which one to prioritize and that takes a lot of internal searching about what is important to you and what you're okay with as you move forward yeah Yeah. I hope that makes sense it makes a lot of sense you're not alone in any of that like a lot of what you just described I've absolutely been in um those types of uh spaces as well and it's the way that I see it is like, there's not so many templates for how we can build values driven businesses that inside and out ref, like help people feel good, you know, promote people like all of these things. Um, we don't have templates for it. So we're all feeling around for it. Um, so a part of that, right, requires this sort of inevitable, um, you know, you're going to have some wins and you're going to have some uh, wrong turns or some some failures, if you will, right? Yeah. And that's um, this is something that I find just so inspiring about you and just your approach, like from day one. Even though I've never ever witnessed and can't imagine you failing at anything ever, I know that the way that you talk about it and you're very inclusive of it. And on your website, um, it's one of your values as an organization. You say we need we need to encourage mistakes and applaud failures. And um, can you just talk a little bit about that your approach to that? Um, how that still feels like? Does it even though like we know that we have to um, kind of uh, encourage mistakes and applaud failures if we're on the entrepreneurial journey. Still in real time, it can really like hurt, right? <laughs> when you do fail. Um, so I'm just yeah. curious if you want to talk a little bit about your approach, how it feels for you still and things you've learned along the way. Yeah, um, so I think, you know, what's interesting is that I think 
mistakes and failures really sort of confront you with your ego um, in the sense of like you you attach it to your own self-worth or at least that's one way maybe um and uh and so i think again this goes right back to me being like a my own being like a transformational coach within my team you know which me encouraging them to say i don't want you guys to hide your mistakes and failures i want you guys to talk about what you learned from it and as long as you optimize from it um and 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 execute based on your learnings and i think um i feel like the game of this this game of entrepreneurship let's just say i I view it as kind of like the Super Mario levels, you know, you have level one to 10 and, you know, you're trying to get to level 10 to face King Koopa. And it's like, if you, I think the, it's really just about speed and pace. The faster that you actually come across the issue, um, the, the, the faster you're going to go up you know levels and if you that issue will always be there you know if it's an issue or if it's a challenge or if it's something that you have to overcome and the faster that you face it and think about it and you know overcome it it that's when you sort of level up and if you don't, then you kind of busy yourself with some other path, but that'll always still be there. And mine was learning how to let go of control and delegate effectively. You know, I found ways to navigate around it and, you know, kind of delegate and semi-delegate, but I never really gave full ownership. And that meant that them designing the strategy and the processes and systems for execution and managing the team, I could own, I always own strategy, you know, and that was really important for me. And then I would basically be on them to be like, did you hit the deadline? But they would do the execution. And, you know, I reached a certain ceiling in revenue operating that way. And I know that if I want to reach my personal ambitions, in being able to have the lifestyle that I'm designing for myself, I have to allow for them to have strategic ownership, process um, creation ownership, team management ownership. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's then encouraging them to not just on, oh, you didn't do the task on time, but oh, you made the wrong decision. And that was, that's that the level that I'm at right now is learning how to balance, you know, keeping them focused and, and under, me being the person who knows the holistic aspect of it and then guiding them on their strategic thinking, but allowing them to actually come up with, with the strategies on their own. And that's very scary. Um, I, th I find that it's a leap that the majority of the people and the founders that I've worked with have a really hard time overcoming, but you can't level up like that issue will always be there. And it'll, it'll keep, that's your ceiling, you know, those very issues that you're afraid of making a mistake or failing at that ceiling, that's the ceiling of your capabilities. 
And so it's your personal choice to ask yourself, am I comfortable with where I am or am I not comfortable with where I am? And you ha- then you have to face that, whatever it is that you've sort of kind of like feel you're not ready to face, you know, if that makes any sense. And then if you fail at it, th- like to overcome that challenge, you have to fail a few times because it's not about the what, it's about the how. You kind of have to like, just keep going at it until you find the best way to overcome that thing. Mm-hmm. And that's really sort of my philosophy and my encouragement that I then trickle down to my team. Yeah. I love that. I love the uh, Mario um, <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there's almost this level of like, okay, you have to go through this level of the game and encounter the sneaky, you know, pitfalls and the monsters. Like you, you're not going to know that they're there and know how to get around them until you encounter them. And so just kind of not only holding space for yourself to go through that, but to hold space for your team to like encounter the monsters on their own and learn the new route. That's big stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So do you... I guess probably maybe with your, you know, relationship with control, as you described, um, maybe this is how it showed up. But did did you ever struggle with perfectionism? Do you struggle with perfectionism? What do you think about um, that word and that condition um, and its relationship to business building? I think that as the person who is the visionary. I think it's good to go through the exercise of, I think it's critical to go through the exercise on gaining clarity about what it is that you want to create as the output, like the tangible physical output of you and your thinking and your values. And, and then to color in those lines during that to make the, the, to make the vision even with greater clarity is an important step. However, I think that getting there has to be flexible, you know, and you have to, it's, it's mandatory that you be flexible because there's all these external factors that you can't control. And the only thing that you can control is readjusting your timeline, readjusting your resources, readjusting the levers that you can pull, but staying focused on that vision, you know, and then, and I think it's good to be perfect about that vision, but then making it so that it's made out of um, clay, that it can be reshaped and being open for it to be reshaped as you go along the journey and you gather more feedback about what's realistic, what's not realistic, or not even what the physical world, not, not just like the context of what's happening outside of you, but also internally what you're going to come across. Oh, well, I thought that this was important to me, but it's actually not anymore. And then to reshape that in your vision. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to the execution part of it, um, I always say there's a thousand ways to get to the same destination. And I don't think that my way is the only way. It's just my way. I think that what's important is that you learn how to, um, how to have 
you you're aware of what your strengths and weaknesses are and that you intentionally build um, out either a team or a system or even just like a sounding board or like people that you consult that really cover your blind spots, you know, and, 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 and I say that because perfectionism to me is control. I kind of equate the two things together. And there are people who have been very successful because they were such a perfectionist and, you know, Steve Jobs is one of them, I can say, and they were very dictatorial in the way that they managed their team and he was successful. But I think that, again, it goes back to you making those decisions and choices and be at least aware that your perfectionism is a weakness because every every strength in a different context is a weakness and you just have to bring that awareness into whatever it is that you're you're building but that comes with humility too and you kind of have to like look at yourself as a personality and kind of detach yourself from that and just know that oh you know I'm not I'm, I'm weak in this area. I have to bring in somebody who can give me a different perspective. I think along the, my journey, I have learned how different perspectives are actually so beneficial. And it was the one thing that I wasn't good at because I was really good at executing. I was really good at strategy. Nobody knew strategy better than I did. And I carried that mentality. Nobody knew strategy better than I did. So I was right in this. And the reality is that everybody can, everybody's perspectives, um, even if they're not at your level, let's say they're a more junior person, it's still a perspective to consider to help shape that. Mm. And it'll, it'll, you become better, your business becomes better. Yeah. Yeah. Like it becomes more perfect through the through the multiple perspectives. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you, you might've already touched on this, but, um, what, can you talk about a turning point in your business? Ooh, gosh. And what, in what dimension money <laughs> or people or like, which Whichever. one are you most curious about? Yeah. Um, good question. I guess, um, yeah, you might've already touched on this, but like, like if you found yourself at a, at a certain sort of roadblock or limit, um, and then you had to make a, or, or yeah, whether it was a roadblock or limit or an actual kind of like something blew up and things are just not working and you had to like make a pivot. Can you tell us a time when that happened? (laughs) I can tell you about two times. There was a time where I basically, um, the ceiling in revenue that we could not get past was basically 200,000 per month in revenue. Um, and I understood that it was because I could not delegate effectively. And really let go of strategic thinking, process systems ownership, and team management, which are really middle managers, like your your seat, your other C-suite, your vice presidents, and then even just your your directors. And that was a turning point for me where I understood intellectually that the reason that we couldn't get past that revenue, monthly revenue ceiling, was because of that 
because I could only, I, it was a representation of my bandwidth because I owned so much. And I, by the way, I was working about 80 hours a week. So I was burning myself out and it was not sustainable at the same time. Now, intellectually, I understood, but again, I had to go through like a personal development because I didn't know what I didn't know to overcome that. Because that's really deep internal work that goes back to the inventory of survival skills that you built to survive growing up. And I actually learned this from RuPaul when he taught, he did a, a talk. He was like, most people, um, the, the most successful people I know are the ones who revisit that inventory of skills that you don't even know that you had in your closet to survive and actually be like, oh, I don't need that one anymore. I'm going to build this one. And I was operating on these survival skills that I had to be super independent. I had to figure things out on my own because I couldn't rely on other people in order to survive at the time that I had translated into, into the business. Mm -hmm. And now um, there is this, I do this actually on a weekly basis on Sundays. I reflect on what were the skills that I incorporated and really kind of like do an inventory check and be very cognizant. Oh, I no longer need to survive. I'm thriving now. And so that takes a different set of thinking and skill set, if that makes sense. So that was like, you know, turning point number one. And then turning point number two was um, working smarter, not harder. So there was this whole thing that I had where um, I felt, I, I remember feeling super guilty for not actually sitting in front of my laptop and working for 10 hours a day, you know, and, uh, and then feeling guilty because my team was, and, and I was wracked with anxiety at the fact that I would take a Saturday off or a Sunday off. And it would, it seemed unjust because this comes from the whole like corporate greed thing where you hear the stories about the CEO just having this flash flush cash. And then they're just, you know, but you know, in actuality, the value is in the quality of the decisions that you make. And that decision-making comes from not sitting on the laptop and doing research, although that is part of it. That's maybe about 20% of it. But the others is going out there and talking to people that you would never even think that you could meet, just like how you and I met. You know, and like, there was no way that I was going to go to give me coffee and be like, I'm going to network with some powerful people that are going to like create some amazing things. Like, no, you're just like, I'm just going to go to give me coffee and just, you know what I mean? So it's, it's super interesting because a lot of it is really like, it really is like your, the internal work basically translates into the entities that you're creating as a business. Your business is the physical representation of yourself. Mm -hmm. and you have to be very cognizant of your own ceilings. And I don't think I was starting out, but those were kind of like the two pivotal points that I learned. The second point was like, I learned not to be the executor, but I learned to be the person who sets the parameters and the conditions for the people to operate and execute in. And that was really me claiming my power, if you could say, you know, and, and that was after I had, realized I was actually worth it, that I don't need to survive all the time. Because when I did get to success, I created chaos to survive again, because that was my mode of operation. 
And then I, once I realized like, wait, I don't have to survive. I can thrive. That's when I started to be a passive um, person in the company where I just led the team and set the conditions and the parameters. And then I allowed them to actually strategize, think through, execute, manage. And that's, that was, that was a four year evolution for me. Honestly, it was, it was really, that was like a tough one to suggest to for me, but I did. And now I feel like, okay, now I'm on level five. Let's just say, you know, so. <laughs> um, 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 I'm close to saving the princess. So. <laughs> <laughs> close. Um, wow. Yeah. That's, that feels uh, very poignant and resonant uh, to me. Absolutely. And it kind of inspires me to f- stray from our script a little bit and ask you, what are some of the sort of self-care or routine measures that you put in place in your life on a daily or weekly basis just to kind of be able to, yeah, maintain that that calm, focused center? So whether it's like actual unpacking therapy or just listening to RuPaul or like what types of practices <laughs> have um, do you engage in? Besides, by the way, cheers. I wish I had champagne, but um, I love the 3 p.m. <laughs> Uh, or maybe a little earlier today. <laughs> yeah, self care. Um, <laughs> so the self care aspect of it, I think, for me personally, was um, allowing time for myself to gain the clarity. So I was because I really valued or was very invested in nurturing other people's success. I was so pulled to whatever it is that they needed and I prioritized their needs. And, um, and actually I realized that when I prioritize, um, when I actually <laughs> like not only gain clarity on what my needs are, but actually create the time to fulfill those needs, that's when I was most fulfilled and my my personal needs are variety like i need to yes be in an uh, 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 office space but then i need to go somewhere else after that you know it's it, that is exponential cuz for me i live part time in new york and i live part time in paris and then now i'm looking for living part time in germany as well so i need variety and i think that um, the self-care for me is really allowing myself those, I think what other people would perceive as indulgent or extravagant, but those are my needs because I'm miserable if I just stay in one space and I feel stagnant. I need to expand and I need to grow and to prioritize my growth and then not have to feel like I'm justifying it to anybody else to me is really self-care and I think it makes me a better leader because I create the um the confines or like the restrictions that I have to figure it out in this time window instead of thinking that I have 10 hours available oh really it's four to six hours of really great creative time outside of that I'm gonna walk my dog refill she's right here right now i'm i'm going to go to uh look at a installation at the whitney i'm going to go to this event 
at NYU and really, you know, I never perceived that it was work. Um, I'm going to actually focus on my physical body. So this first, you know, I started to uh, dedicate two hours into it and then nurture the, the relationships in my life. It wasn't natural to me to do that. It's natural for me to work and be a workhorse. And so that was really sort of like, and, and also PS being okay with wanting a lot of money. That's also another thing. And what you would do with that money and feeling like you deserve that. And again, it's, it's all about, again, going back to the why you have to understand why you have to make peace with it. You know, Georgia O'Keeffe, she has a saying that before she puts out any painting, any of her paintings out there, she looked at it and she made a conclusion about what it was to her before she put it out in the public and had the, the critics say either really good things or really bad things. To her, she had already decided what it was to her. And it's sort of a similar process to that. And that's my self-care. And that's journaling, that journals in the beginning of the day and then reflect at the end of the evening. And then on Sundays when I reflect on on the week and then think about how to optimize for the following week. Yeah. So good. So good. Chris, have you had safety nets in your life? Has it felt like you've had a safety net? Um, and And have there been moments where, okay, let me reframe. In every business building journey, there are moments, doesn't matter if you're bringing in millions or whatever, where money is tight, where cash flow is not working out, especially when you're first building your business, right? Um, and figuring it out. How do you deal with those times um, is a question that I have. Uh, so when I was first starting out, um, so I, I bootstrapped again. I'm going to say it, it was like... 8 million generated from $300 in the bank. And I bootstrapped that all the way through. Um, so I never took on like investors or anything like that. Um, it was really when I first started with the 300 in the bank, I had to figure out a way to double my hourly as a freelancer. And doubling the hourly was based on supply and demand for what I was offering as a service. And um, for me in particular, I got uh, lucky, but I think luck happens when you're there and you, you show up, you're, you're consistent about showing up and then luck happens. But for me, it was the Upwork algorithm had worked for me because uh, I was a freelancer on Upwork. I'm not sure if all of you guys are aware of Upwork. Upwork is like a freelance community that matches freelancers with entrepreneurs. And I started my freelancing journey on Upwork and I started at $18 an hour. And two and a half months in, two solopreneurs that had hired me, I was still working for. And the Upwork algorithm had recognized me as a rising freelancer because the algorithm was like, oh, they've been using this one girl for two and a half months. She must be good. And the algorithm fed me people who were looking for virtual assistance automatically. Now, when there were more requests than there were um, um, my available time, I doubled my rate and I kept doing that. Now, I think what's relatable is really as a VA, whatever, you can't charge $200 an hour as a VA. It was when I had developed a particular skill set that I had to figure out how to market 
that in a way that they were interested in hiring me when I got to $60 an hour, when I got to $90 an hour, when I got to $150 an hour. And so that's where really leverage your, um, your, you know, the way that I think for us who are values driven, we are really interested in authentically helping other people. And the way that I did it was um, when I started learning Facebook ads and I was able to have some success on $1,500 budget, I would put on my profile the exact methodology. This has been my marketing strategy from day one. So I was very transparent about how I, what, how my, what my method was. And when they would look at all of the work, when they would read through all of the steps, they would be like, wow, that's a lot of work. I don't have time to do that. I'm going to hire this girl. And that transparency and the authenticity to this day, I'm super authentic about wanting other people to be successful. I think that that has translated into the revenue. The other side of that is there is a dark side. I've been taking advantage of multiple times from multiple types of people because that is a reality of our world. There are people that it's like Survivor, the show, you know, it's like, oh, they create the alliances in the end, they like stab you in the back and you're just like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. That was a big play, you know? I've gone through all of that, but still it forces you to, I think the reward is knowing so much of who you are and that, hey, that happened. I'm still going to be authentic. I still want people to succeed. I just have to be more intelligent or I have to be more, I think, cognizant of the signals when you can you you learn to read people better i think you know as you go along the way and make better decisions but i mean again it's really just the way that i did it was i leveraged the one thing that i know would make me double my rate and i just i just like really tried to help people with my the knowledge that i had and that comes through and one of my first when i was i think when i started charging 60 dollars an hour one of my first clients she's my best friend today you know and she had created this entity i mean it's like all great so many great things happen um so that's sort of like how i kind of started to have my start once i started charging 150 an hour then i started hiring other people and then i got my first 15k monthly retainer account and then from there i figured out ways to make that into a 100k monthly retainer and it really is just about knowing what you can leverage to maximize its value. I think that's the key skill. Once you know that and you know that it's being undervalued, it's your job to increase the value of that. And that is really truly entrepreneurship. Yeah. I love that. Um, if a couple things that I'm taking away from that, Chris, are one, um, essentially knowing out of all of your skill sets or all of your products or all of the potential ways that you can make money, what is like the one that is theoretically most profitable? What's most useful for you to execute and what somebody wants to pay you the most money for and not being uh, shy about sort of doubling down on, on that thing. And then another takeaway that I heard is that I love um, when it comes to content strategy, when it comes to marketing strategy, be generous with what you know, right? So like, don't feel like you have to keep things behind closed doors, but you can give out all the goods at the onset because people are going to be overwhelmed. They're going to be like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Now that I know how to do it, I don't want to do it. And I want to just hire you to do it. So being like exactly. operating from the spirit of generosity 
can, I think, allow you to feel like you're in service when you're marketing. So it comes across very natural. Um, and also it works <laughs> to get um, the clients. Okay, question, kind of rapid fire vibes, right? Um, all right, so you work on conversion rate optimization. Can you break it down for the people what that means? Because there's, I know a lot of folks in here who are just getting started and they're like, what is CRO? <laughs> Um, CRO is, again, my, my industry is e-commerce, so it's an online store and optimizing on the performance from the number of people that visit your store to actually get them to um, be customers and going through to the purchase. And what is that percentage? So that's conversion rate optimization. Yeah. So um, the idea being that, you know, if people land on your website and they either click buy or they don't click buy, Yes, it could be because your product is good or bad, but also there's all of these little tr psychological triggers in terms of copy and whatever that allow people to either take action or not. And that's what your team really helps. One of the things that your team helps with. Yeah, um, exactly. For folks who are interested in utilizing social media ads for their businesses, I know that you really specialize in e-commerce growth. Um, and I know a lot of folks in this space are more not necessarily in that world. But are there any kind of general rules of thumb or key learnings that you feel like you can offer when it comes to being able to successfully grow on social media through paid ads? Yeah, actually, I'm going to go outside of paid ads because paid ads is an investment that is pretty risky. What I know from my experience is those who have built their business organically, which is through organic social, actually have a phenomenal success rate and high margins to be as well. And I think the barrier really is about whether the founder is willing to be the face of the brand in social as a way to sort of bootstrap the organic growth. And that is, a, again, one of those decisions that you have to make for yourself. If you are willing to be the face of your brand and put yourself on social and, and, and be consistent in your posting, it's really powerful. However, the way that I think about it is that the feed, so let's just say Instagram, the feed is a mature algorithm you have to um the algorithm is actually one of the things that can really make your business the feed on instagram is a mature algorithm meaning that the maturity it's a long game to reach your target audience if you're just starting out because the maturity is in the algorithm has built all of these touch points to understand a quality follow or a quality follower. And it's a long-term play. If you're looking for short-term results like we do, or like the fastest way to reach um, new people um, with the least amount of effort, I always look at Instagram is a mature algorithm as a whole but you have to break down placements. The opportunity is in IG Reels right now because they're competing with TikTok, okay? So that placement is immature as an algorithm. What they're trying to do is they're trying to compete with TikTok. They're trying, they're opening up that placement to new people. The algorithm is mature that it can target your, your 
audience very accurately. So it, in organic social, you have to play it. That is not just about the qualitative aspects, which is like building a community and getting people to be emotionally attached and building value. You have to really think about it from a very quantitative, like brass taxes standpoint and look at it intellectually in that sense, like IG reels. And it really, you can cultivate this knowledge if you just under, if you're just in social and you also talk to your friends who are promoting themselves on social and just understand the patterns, IG reels has a much, they're promoting it. The fact that it comes up on your second scroll, which is the most valuable real estate on social as a business owner, you want to be in the first two scrolls. How do you get to the first two scrolls? They're already promoting IG reels. You know, this is the kind of things that you want to sort of like hack and you have to, this is what gives you the competitive edge against all the other business owners that are trying to make it on social, if that makes sense. Totally. So again, sort of paying attention. Nobody will talk about this stuff, Eden, just so you guys know, nobody talks about the power of the algorithm in, in, commonly you know people talk about the quality of the content because yes that is also a play but you also the algorithm is i mean if you know how to hack the algorithm you know it's it's the 80 20 honestly it's so real and it's such an important um perspective to layer in before you devote any more time to your social media profile if you are trying to grow your business you have to understand how Instagram works. Like just, just you know, look into it a little bit just so you can be operating from a strategic lens so you're working smarter, not harder, and you can't drift off of exactly. these, these naturally flowing currents, like any new features that are unrolling. And then that's how viral stuff happens. And on a practical side, if you were to build out your content strategy, I would place more volume on these IG Reels, placements for example youtube shorts and then i would decrease the volume that you would actually like post on your feed your feed is really to nurture the audience that you're building and think about it that way you want to create engagement dms comments because then that's how you'll get to the top of the feed when you're in your next post but if you're if you're at the stage where you're just trying to get new eyeballs into your business, focus on those placements that have a higher, um, it's not confined by the maturity of the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, do you, is there a, a future in which Chris Sugatan is like an influencer again? <laughs> I mean, you, you, you are, but like, is that a part of your business strategy? <laughs> at all in the future or are you kind of knowingly not doing that so the actually the transition that we're in the middle of making right now is i never really wanted to be an agency owner <laughs> i wanted to own a portfolio of businesses and i've actually taken the leap in building a holding company that has multiple subsidiaries so we're developing our own brands and we're acquiring brands that's at this that's really the current stage that i'm in and um, we're the, the scaling methodology is through organic social media, but on an emphasis on viral posts. And that's why I know about the whole algorithm and the maturity of placements as part of our study. Um, and, and 
the learnings from that is going to be an annual journal that I'm going to put out at the end of the year about all of the tests that we did that compared this strategy versus this strategy and then what happened. So I'm it, it, part of my weekly cycle is to document what happened or the tests that we did on organic. Um, and again, it's bootstrapping profitability. So it's not taking an external funding, um, but it's a, how could a brand actually just you know, scale up bootstrapping as profitability through the power of organic social. So that's, that's what I'm working on right now. That's my next, I would say five years and then releasing an annual journal or probably become a quarterly journal. But the first one would be at the end of the year, I'll share every, all of the tests that we did and, and sort of the insights. So that's, that's where I'm at so far. Uh, well that brings us home um, to a just final question what ultimately like is your mission like how does your work relate to your sort of ultimate goal for the world or like how you would like to see the world change like what does you know what 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 moves you at a very deep level to like build and grow all of these things for yourself and for the world like what's what's the yeah. deep thread there for you um it's twofold um so the primary motivation is um for me i was not only like born into a like poverty you know i was born into poverty with like with no support, parental support. So I didn't have like one single mom, you know, or a single dad that took care of me. So it was like, almost like, um, I was really, I was, I came into an environment where I was set up to fail. And then, and, and my, my why is to show that I can actually accelerate to the, let's just say top 1% in terms of monetary value but doing it in a way that was still um, that, that really did juggle these really hard questions around ethics and morality and doing it in a way that is different from how we know um, corporate entities have been built up. And that's really my journey in the form of the annual journal that I want to speak about. So that then the outcome of that is to show that it can be done as long as you do this internal work, allowing yourself to make the mistakes and just keep on going, you know, and not really like just keeping being aware of your own ceiling and then all the methods in which you can, you know, address those issues so that you can continue to level up. But that's only if you want to, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with being at level two, if that's where you're comfortable and you're happy with that, you know, but for me personally, it's really responding to people who really want everything, you know, the most that you can get out of life. That's me. And, but then are you willing to sort of tackle all the different dimensions and all the challenges in the different dimensions, finance, leadership, people management, you know, um, uh, client relationships, like all of that, are you willing to go through those challenges? Um, and, and just showing that here, you know, this is, this is what the journey looks like. If you want to, if you want to take it on, great. If not great too, just be aware, you know, know yourself. I think that's the most fun journey is to continue to understand who you are. 
Thank you so, so much for your generosity today, Chris, your story. Thank you for having me. And um, I know that uh, it it definitely resonated with a lot of folks today. Um, So thank you so, so much. Thanks to everybody for joining us today. And I'm going to play a little outro music. And you can always um, keep in touch with Chris for the time being on Instagram at SugatanChris. She'll drop it in the chat. Um, Also, if you know of any e-commerce brands who are trying to scale to a million a month, um, go to Sugatan.io, S-U-G-A-T-A. And that I owe. And we out.